1: to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Michael. Michael, for everyone out there listening who might not know who you are, you please tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
0: Uh, I'm a professor of sociology at Eckerd College and the University of South Florida in uh, Tampa. And uh, I study mostly time and uh, how people experience time and how people attempt to change or
1: uh, manipulate their experience of time. What have you kind of discovered about time? Because I know there's that saying like time always flies when you're having fun. Honestly, I've had some really good, like I would say fun times, but they never went by super, super fast. It always seems like when you're focused into something a little bit more, you tend to lose track of everything else around you, which is kind of like I used to have this. So before we even get into the whole discussion, I used to have this theory when I was a kid about time, that time there's all these individual people on the planet that time it really doesn't necessarily depend on if you're having fun but it's randomly picked one person each day because sometimes i'm having like the funnest i've ever had but time seems to be going slow so i figured ah might not as well be maybe that one person that the time is focused in on necessarily isn't having a good time now that's a stupid little conspiracy but it was i was 10 so
0: <laughs> well it's actually the focus part of it is uh, i think relevant and interesting and important because uh, this 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 statement is kind of stereotypical and in that sense is false a lot uh, the uh time flies when you're having fun idea um, uh in the research i've done uh, corroborates something you said that uh sometimes when you're having fun time seems to be passing slowly and uh so we have kind of a paradox here where time seems to pass slowly sometimes, time seems to fly sometimes. And I think the difference is uh, has to do with focus. When we're having not just fun, but extremely nice fun, extremely engrossing fun, a ex- fun that kind of grabs our attention and holds it, time slows down. When we're having the kind of shallow fun familiar fun, fun that is kind of routine, and we've been there before, it doesn't grab our attention in the same way, and distracts us from clock time and and, and standard time, and that speeds it up, and that makes it seem to pass more quickly. So time is really a function of uh, the social interaction, the, the, the social situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, and it and it's a function of the social situation because it's uh, shaped by the, the degree of involvement we have with what we're doing. And if we're really, really involved with what we're doing, that tends to slow it down. If we are less involved with what we're
1: doing, that tends to speed it up. What do you think is, I guess, why I guess time just seems like there's never enough for a lot of people. Like I consider the time you probably have in the grand scale of the universe is completely different. Those are two different I guess, time lapses, I would say, are time differentials. But if you look at people's capacity to want to include more or this mentality of hustle or grind, for instance, is something that I've always been fascinated with, mostly because I don't really like it a whole lot. Like, I don't like Gary Vee. I'm sure he's a great guy, but I just don't like the whole, like, you got to be doing more. You got to be doing this. You got to be doing that. Yeah. This. I feel like people rush a lot and people tend to neglect a lot of things because they have an unrealistic expectation or understanding of what time is and they have to fit a lot into a small period of it. And then they're like, well, I got all this done today like I wake like have you ever seen Mark Wahlberg's like workout routine or schedule He gets up at like 430. And does like a workout for two hours, then eats, then prays, then goes and does filming, then works out, then eats, and then prays, and then goes to sleep at like an early time. Now, my schedule is kind of similar. I don't pray, but I get up at 4.30 a.m. I like to go work out for two hours, do a podcast recording, whatever. But I get all my stuff done and people go, well, how do you have so much time in a day? I'm like, well, you got to manage it but I feel like people try and shove a lot in and then they forget a lot because they're prioritizing certain things, which makes it seem like they don't have enough minutes in the day. Yeah. I think
0: we in the West, I mean, I don't think, I, I wouldn't personify it with Mark Wahlberg or you or any particular person, but people in in our society and, and not just our society, but affluent you know, Western societies, have this ambition to try to get as much done as possible, and it's by itself, it's kind of a noble ambition, right? You're trying to do a lot. So Mark Wahlberg wants to exercise, and he wants to shoot films, and he wants to pray, and he wants to do all these things. Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm an expert on time, uh, Robbie, and there's only 24 hours in a day. So I mean, just to be kind of you know uh, jokey about it. Uh, If you keep piling stuff in there, you're going to feel like uh, there's a time famine, that you're running out of time. If you contrast that with someone in some um, low income country where there's nothing much to do, uh, you know, you, you go there and you talk to people about, do you have a time famine? And they'll say, like someone in prison might say to you, I got nothing but time.
1: Well, like prison, for instance, if we talk about the time in there, isn't the whole point of prison like they don't want your time to go fast and when your time doesn't really go fast is when you're kind of staring at four walls and there's really nothing else there. we've all been bored out of our minds. We've all felt like time's just going super slow because there's nothing for us to do. It's why people get bored and they try and find something to do. But imagine if they put you in a room where there is nothing to do. I mean, in in a sense, that's why you see movies where people have like a TV in their room or they have in a cell or something like that it, it, dramatized up, if you want to say, but there's certain areas where they can let that slide. Um, but they it's to it make the time go faster, but that's not necessarily the point of prison. I mean, the point of prison doesn't make sense at all, in a sense. I mean, if you know what being inside four walls or what they would call solitary confinement. It's not good. Um, and I get it. They're like, Oh, people go, well, there's are criminals. Well, you got to come from a human aspect. they are people as well too. And if you hear about the horror stories behind people that come out of self or solitary confinement and they trying to adjust back into real life, there's a kid that killed himself at 25 years old. He threw his TV out the window, slept on the floor. They're horror stories. And I, I think it drives you mad in a sense. I mean, very much so. Uh,
0: solitary confinement can take a terrible toll on uh, somebody's
1: uh, mental state.
0: And they that's why they use it as punishment.
1: Why did you specifically, like for instance, when we talk about prisons, wh- where did you find the correlation with time there, besides what I said? Is there any like significance? Well, I
0: mean, the the time research that you were talking about with me a few moments ago has been out there for a while. And what happened was that a prisoner um, came across my research on time while he was in prison, and reached out to me with a letter uh, back in 2010. And the letter, the gist of the letter was, um, "I do time, you study time. Would you like to collaborate?"
1: What did that that produce? (laughs) I said, "What did that produce? Like that's a that's a weird that's a weird combination right there."
0: Yeah, well, it's been. It produced a book that we just published, uh, the Cage of Days: uh, Time and Temporal Experience in Prison, uh, which uh, Columbia University just uh, published uh, uh, in February, um, and it's a collaboration between an inside guy and an outside guy. And prison is uh, kind of a interesting and important extension of my work because it's almost kind of to connect to what you were saying a moment ago almost like a diabolical experiment of well let's see what happens when we put a person in a box with nothing to do uh what happens to their experience of time i couldn't i wouldn't be allowed to do an experiment like that right uh it would be like uh ethically unacceptable and yet that's sort of what prisons are i mean they're these giant experiment where we put thousands and thousands of uh, people into the this very extreme set of circumstances and go what happens to time and temporal experience in these conditions.
1: Do you think it depending on which or how you set up I guess you're I wouldn't say the whole prison experience but in a sense the experience of being in prison someone who reads there's uh, accounts of people that have been locked away for false terrorism or something like that just in a different country let's say um a popular one that was on joe rogan he was in 30 years but he spent all that time reading spending all that time finding a new religion spending all this time like this and the way he talks about it was like it was just it it was kind of like when you see your kids grow up you you know you watch the change but it's just it the way you look back on it is completely different. There's a lot of people that when they come out of prison, they talk about this experience. You back, like, you were 30 years away. They were like, yeah, but it's, it, that was 30 years. You know, like they just talk about it in a different sense where I'm like, is that being numb to the fact of it? Or is it, do they experience something different? Cause I wonder what their days are like. I think it's out. the
0: latter. I think what you just said uh, in terms of it being something different because The the cliche, of course, I think, is that uh, the time passes very slowly in prison, which it does while you are experiencing each hour, each day, it passes excruciatingly slowly. The paradox, though, is that, as you mentioned earlier, nothing happens, and so there's nothing for you to remember. And so after the year has passed, it collapses in your memory and, and seems to have passed quickly in retrospect. And so they, they have this, while, while you're in the present, while you're experiencing time, it passes very slowly. And then as you look backward at it, it seems to have collapsed into, it seems to have evaporated. It seems there's like nothing, what happened? Well, nothing happened for 30 years basically, and hardly anything for me to remember anyway. There are exceptions, of course, if something horrible happened, like violence of some sort. But most of the guys in prison wrestle with boredom more than they wrestle with violence uh, because there's just nothing going on. And so prison has this kind of uh, paradoxical effect on time, making it seem to pass with excruciating slowness in the present But in retrospect, it seems to have evaporated. And then once you're you're released, uh, you're often released into a completely different world than the one you left, which is also an aspect of time. I mean, the guy I work with and collaborate with, um, he went into prison when he was 19 years old. He got out 31 years later. He was in prison more than he was out of prison. And the internet was invented while he was in prison.
1: Did Did you talk to him about like how he processes things now? Not like, you know, like the, the technology difference, but the way he takes in information, because the way I'm starting to learn here, at least our discussion about time is that it, it seems on the power of our processing. Like, for instance, a person that lives from birth all the way to death at maybe 90 years old it's a 90 year span now if you ask them at 90 years old before they die to remember every single moment of every single detail of every single part of their lives, they'll have specific key moments that they'll probably be able to remember but in the grand scale like man i wish i can go for another round it just flew by i mean i'm 24 and i look back i'm like damn like i graduated high school like six years ago Like that's, that seems like it was in a a blink of an eye, but in a sense, it's because my processing is different. I'm not paying attention to the crucial details. But if you ask me to examine one of my classrooms that I would just stare out the window and try and daydream, and I could do that to a, a definitive detail of exactly how that class was set up. And I feel like if you really attention to that aspect when someone's in prison and they come out of prison their processing of everything has to probably be either for at least probably a short period of time maybe a year or so after they get out even if they're away for 30 something years because it's so hard to remember that essence of being able to take in every single crucial detail and every single information unless you're in that moment yeah
0: well i think that's true i think they get out and they're shocked at how fast everything moves in prison, everything moves like molasses. Nobody is in a hurry, nobody needs to rush. Uh, if you have a job, nobody cares how fast you do it. Um, most of the, a lot of them don't have jobs, so there's nothing to do. And so time really passes very slowly and there's not anybody going, hey, hurry it up. Uh, they get out of prison and suddenly everybody wants what they want now and uh and so they find that wow you really have to like hustle out here and so that's one of the shocking aspects of of coming out plus society has just so changed so much i mean uh my guy got out and he didn't know anything about the internet about cell phones he had to learn all of that and so he was in the book we talk about the rip van winkle effect rip van winkle of course being the character. Uh, in the famous story who goes to sleep and wakes up 20 years later. And prisoners who've been in for 10, 20, 30 years are like that, because they really re-enter societies that are very different than the one they left, especially since they've been spending a lot of time inside, kind of ignoring what's going on outside, because it's hard to do time with a foot in two worlds. Do
1: you think that with the I guess the rapid amount of growth in an aspect of people trying to do as much as they possibly can with the short amount of time they think that they have, even though the time we're, we're in agreement that time's not just randomly speeding up at some key points in someone's life, like a marriage or something like that. But to them, it is. I feel like this has major implications on the way that society tends to grow. And that's where we see a lot of mismanaged and misstep and cut corners in some aspects because of that neglect or because of that Unrealistic expectation that time is increasing um, and they have to get as much done as possible. You know, they cut down on time. Like instead of your lunch break being 30 minutes, we're gonna cut it down to 15 all because we got to get this amount of work now. You take more work on. I mean, look where society's going. Someone who's in prison for 30-something years before the internet and comes into a world where there's iPhones in every person's pocket, there's these face, there's metaverse. That's shocking. And it's only increasing and doubling and doubling. It seems like every single year, there's more advancements where I start wondering, is society moving towards a more unrealistic aspect of time and technology increasing is only going to make that gap bigger and bigger and bigger? Because it seems like the more we're in our devices, as well as it has a clock on the freaking thing, they're having a very, very, I guess, distorted perception of it. Like it's, I, I love these conversations. I love podcasts because they make time goes by like it's nothing, but, It it becomes an issue when you start realizing like, okay, I've done this many episodes and this many hours of my life are gone. And I remember, and it's recorded and it's all this, but then you have these contemplations with life and existential crises that start leading in. I don't know. Maybe I'm just going down the rabbit hole of like time a little bit, but you have to come across some of this with your research. I mean, as well as if you even say that you study time or you study the temporal experience of it people are going to think back to the future they're going to think of time travel which i mean you gave me that head nod i'm now going to change what i'm going to say next but what the possibilities of that like does that is that land in your area where you start thinking these types of thoughts of like what about morphing time as much as we morph it in our own reality
0: well i kind of want to go back to something you were talking about a moment ago before i talk about the time travel thing that which is that it's uh, so I'm going backward in time uh, the uh, I think w- it's easy for us to say, well, these people are just choosing to try and pack a lot of stuff into their lives. But something you said a moment ago is true, which is that actually that reflects demands that are being made on us uh, by society by the economy by our attempt to make a living in this uh time and, and space that we live in so that it's not just uh people being kind of greedy and going well i want to do this 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 and this but it's the relationships we have all of these people they want some of our time um so uh, you know, our, our, our families, our friends, our employers, uh, our teachers, uh, all of these people, the definition of the relationship is that these people want and expect some time from us in one way or another. And so uh, we are sort of at the middle of having fallen into this pool of uh, time piranha. Uh, Each one takes a little bite of our time, but after each one takes a little bite of our time, there's nothing left but the bones. Uh, So uh, that's a challenge for us today. And it's especially true in terms of uh, school employers uh, where they go, "Okay, I want I want your time. I paid for your time and I want your time uh, from you. And uh, so there's enormous demands on us in terms of our time uh, and uh, so multitasking becomes kind of an attempt to adapt to this it's a weak and poor attempt it, it, the research shows that when you're multitasking you're basically doing two or three things poorly instead of one thing well but. You know, it's sort of like uh, if you don't have enough uh, time, if you have 30 minutes for lunch, you eat fast food, not because fast food is good for you, but because that's the amount of time you have to eat. Um, And so a lot of this stuff is being imposed on us, uh, I think, by the situation that we find ourselves in. And uh, I think it will be healthier if we push back a little bit and try to carve out some time for self, some me time, some my time. Time travel, uh, back to the future. Uh, That really goes beyond uh, my expertise. What I read about it uh, says that uh, you can't do it because uh, if you go uh, forward in time, you change things and suddenly uh, things of the past is different. I don't I don't get
1: into that much really. The butterfly effect is what you're talking about. The butterfly
0: about. effect, right? The famous sci-fi short story where you step off the path and oh it's just a butterfly and then you come back and everything is different.
1: It definitely leaves me curious because when they start going, there's other dimensions out there. And then there's that guy who's in like a newspaper article about trying to build a time machine to be able to go back and see his dad who was suffering from some illness. He, he was like on radio show and everything about him. Um, and then he realized that you can't go back before the time machine was created. It goes down, like I said, it goes down to sci-fi. Maybe we'll get there. I don't know. Um, but let's stick to what we do know, which is the time that we experience as well too. Do you think like, I, I had uh, Mick West on the show. Um, he's a, like a, a popular debunker of like myths, UFOs, and all these types things. He's like a skeptic. Um, now he mentioned to me about robotics and the fast and advancement of AI, for instance. Now with AI, he mentioned this utopian scenario. Imagine a time you didn't have to go to work. You didn't have to do it. You had robots do everything for you. and You could just live and do whatever you wanted. Sounds nice. It really does. But I say, I feel like you would, you're after two weeks, much like you saw with the pandemic of everyone being on lockdown for two weeks or so, once you clear your schedule of things, you have to do that day. And the best example I could give you is like, if I have a day off or something, what I do is I make a list of things I need to get done, vacuum, do whatever, you know, clean up the house, I get it done in a reasonably short, short, short amount of time, like less than an hour. But I had that plan to do all day. Next thing I know, I find myself bored and doing nothing and then trying to find something to do where I end up creating a mess that I'm going to have to clean up next week. So that's kind of with the lockdown. People thought I'm going to get so much done now that I don't have to go to work and I have to we all have to be on lockdown or something like this. And they saw after a week or two, they were craving to go back to work. But it's so weird how when you go back to work, like if I work five days in a row, that first day, I'm like, I'm excited to get to work. And then the rest of the week is like, shoot me in the head because but that Friday is amazing because I'm like, I don't have to work all weekend. And then you forget, you forget what that boredom was like or that pain of working. And then you go back. So I say, if you live in this utopia world where robots do your job and you're able to do whatever the hell you want. It's not necessarily going to make you happy. I feel like you necessarily need that work as much as it kind of sucks. Maybe you don't need it to make money, but it's something it's like a piece of for your mental health. Yeah, it's just ingrained into us. And those me days as well, too. I I was never a fan of like, oh, you need a me day or something like that. But then I started understanding it more when it was just to the capacity of catching up with things you felt like you were neglecting in. Now, hopefully, that doesn't mean just sitting and playing video games all day. That just means doing something that might help in a sense of easing the anxiety, And I feel like that comes with not just your job. And I think you see this in specific categories. Talk to someone in radio. Talk to someone who's a booker. Talk to someone who deals in schedule and time management. You will see the anxiety that these people do because they're cramming so much into the amount of time or capacity of the schedule that they have. And I started learning that from producing a show now so it, it, the anxiety is real and I feel like now that's leaking over into other aspects where now you're seeing people who don't need to have a schedule who don't need to have a time management, who might just be on unemployment and sitting at home, they're starting to have these anxieties and fears.
0: Well, the robot thing is, uh, is worth having anxiety about. I mean, I think, uh, like you mentioned, there's there's utopian kind of visions of the future where robots do all of the work. Um, then I go, well, okay, how do you make a living then? What we see increasingly these days is um, some of the work in America was shipped overseas via outsourcing, but some of the work in America has been... Uh, taken over by uh, machines that people used to do. And those people still need to make a living. what are they supposed to do? Uh, Who's gonna pay them? Um, um, So uh, is someone gonna pay them for doing nothing while the uh, robots uh, make cars or shirts or shoes? Um, And so that's a real issue that we have. um, And I think it's a growing issue. Uh, there's you can look all over the place and look at and and see jobs that people used to do that robots do now. Well, that makes for unemployment. And let me tell you, time passes slowly when you're unemployed because you're sitting around doing nothing and you're bored. And that's a recipe for time passing slowly or seeming to pass slowly. It doesn't change it. time doesn't change its speed. What changes is our perception of its speed. Uh, But if you're unemployed, you're like, that time seems to pass very slowly. And that's one of the horrible things about uh, poor areas, inner city areas, areas with a lot of unemployment, is just people sitting around with nothing to do. Uh, A lot of times, they get into trouble by trying to make their otherwise boring time more interesting and exciting than it, it would be otherwise. But we all, the other thing about it, I think, is that this lockdown gave us a taste of that nothing to do, Uh, locked in our own isolated places in the early days of the pandemic, which is actually something I studied with my uh, colleague, uh, Cosima Ruganish from uh, Romania. Um, We looked at the online memes that people created about isolation and people did not like isolation. I mean, and that's kind of a naive uh, attitude, uh, you know, to say that, you know, you might say, well, of course they didn't like it, but I mean, you why not? Uh, stay home, you know, be in your slippers, uh, why not be comfortable, nothing much to do. Um, and yet, I think as you were saying a moment ago, we didn't appreciate it and we didn't enjoy it because, Suddenly, I'm sitting there going, what is today? Is it Wednesday? Is it Thursday? I don't know, because it's Blur's Day. Every day is, seems like the same day to me. A very prison experience, by the way. Every day is the same in prison, and we all got a taste of that during the lockdown uh, for the, in the early days of the pandemic, and we didn't like it very much. You can look at the online memes, and people were, like, were really unsettled and uncomfortable about it because we knew that time was passing, but it was passing in this completely unstructured way where we don't even know what day or what time it is. Prisoners have to try and deal with this. And and for the rest of us, it's usually not a problem because time structure is imposed on us by school, by work, by our relationships. Uh, And so, It was very unusual during the early days of the pandemic and social isolation to be kind of locked away like this. Sometimes we like it, you and I can go on vacation to some exotic place where there's just a a beach and three days into it, we're like, what day is it? I don't know and I don't care. Uh, But that only works for a couple of weeks on vacation. After a while, we get unsettled and feel uncomfortable with it. And and prisoners have a bigger problem with it. Prison takes whatever problems with time we have in everyday life and magnifies it, uh, makes it bigger and worse. Um, And so the small discomfort we felt The small uncertainty and unsettled feeling we felt during isolation during the pandemic is magnified in prison. And so prisoners feel compelled to fill the time up to make personal schedules, sort of like Mark Wahlberg that you were talking about earlier. A prisoner knows if I don't make a schedule for myself, there is no schedule. And I'm not gonna have any idea what time it is. The time is gonna pass painfully slowly and then evaporate in, re- in retrospect and so they really have a challenge on their hands for that reason but the pandemic gave us all a taste of that challenge
1: what do you think i guess it implicates more the i guess the word time or just the idea of time do you think it's more of an emotional thing or do you think it's more of a subconscious thing because i look at two things emotional for instance fear um, if someone's scared time's probably going to go slower for them um, just because they're taking in every single moment and they're worried about these things. I think people experience that lockdown too, where they were bored doing nothing. You're worrying about bills now. You know, for me, I always kind of it to this. That's a future Robbie problem where like if I have like a bunk knee or if I have a headache or if I have something I got to do, I'm like, that's future Robbie worry about it. The next thing you know, I'm like, why the hell did past Robbie not handle this? Um, <laughs> yeah. But I also look at the consciousness aspect. For some reason, I've started noticing more and more and more, especially with people having this much time off and not being like in the actual routine of the world, you saw a lot of people on autopilot. And I see that now, sometimes in conversations, sometimes in just everyday aspects of their life, they're, don't, they're not recalling any events that they were doing before. And I know some of that gets lumped in with like brain fog after COVID, but I find myself be on autopilot and I'm catching myself. I'm like, Whoa. What 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 is going like? I'm not I'm not taking in the moment that I'm in. I'm not taking in the words that I'm saying. I'm just kind of in this thing. I'm in the moment, but I'm not. I'm autopiloting. So I look at like, what do you think would be, a, a, I guess, more of something to worry about in a sense, which is the emotional impact of it or maybe the unconscious aspect of it? You know, like people probably will cut down on their sleep hours because they're trying to cram more in even though they need sleep to be more productive, in a sense, it's kind of counterintuitive. but that consciousness aspect, that autopilot aspect, that's something I don't, it just, it just comes out. Sometimes you don't even know you're doing it. You really have to pay attention to it. And that's when you start paying attention would be to look at the clock, to check the time, to focus in on what you're on.
0: Yeah. Emotions are definitely connected to uh, time. I think uh, your example, if you're Anxious about something, if you're fearful about something, that's going to make the time elastic and slow and long. Um, depression has a similar effect on time. If someone who is depressed often experiences the time passing uh, very slowly, but in uh, the at the opposite end of the scale, to go back to something we uh, talked touched on earlier. Uh, if you kiss someone you've been madly in love with for the first time, uh, that can seem like it's passing slowly. And it's, instead of it being an unpleasant emotion like uh, uh, depression or uh, anxiety, it's the opposite. It's so intense that you, uh, but it's an intensely pleasurable experience. And so the clue for us is intensity if the if it's intensely unpleasant or intensely uh, pleasant, uh, very different emotions can make the time uh, distorted in our perception. Uh, but I don't think it has to be, I, I think emotions are sufficient. I, I think they're enough. You can be scared and modify your experience of time. You can be madly in love and modify your experience of time. You can listen to, the favorite music, the most beautiful music you've ever heard. And that moment can seem elongated, can seem stretched for you. So pleasure, uh, displeasure doesn't help us. It's not part of the required explanation here. Time can slow down under pleasurable circumstances. Time can slow down under very unpleasant circumstances. That's not what we wanna focus on. And I don't think unconscious is either. I think it's consciousness, and I think it's the degree of uh, involvement or the density of the experience and the density of the experience, uh, how much we're taking in of what's available, The, the experiential information in the environment where I'm at right now, how much of that am I taking in? This is the key factor, and that's a factor in terms of my elastic attention um, and our attention is elastic. It varies. Um, and sometimes we pay a lot of attention and sometimes we pay a little. And most of the time we're kind of in the middle mediocre. Um, there's like this famous Zen saying uh, that connects to, I guess, what you were saying about, uh, you know, the being on autopilot. And I think we are. I think that's a good description, your, your word autopilot. Because a lot of time we're just sort of going through the motions, trying not to step in the waste paper basket, trying not to fall over, trying to say a more or less relevant thing to the person who's talking to us. But we're not really right here, right now. We're worried about the past. We're worried about the argument we had with someone we like or care about yesterday. We're worried about uh, what the boss will think of the work we submitted in the future. Um, so, I mean, it's naive to think that we're always right here, right now. We're often in terms of our minds in the past uh, or in the future. So there's a famous Zen frame saying, or rather, um, be here now.
1: I know about say I know from psychology courses, uh, future tripping is what they call it when you're worried about future problems, you get stuck up in your head and you build these things. But I wondered if you offered the question to someone, if I gave you more time, do you think you'd be more happy? Most of the time people are going to say, yeah, if I had more time, I would be definitely more happy. But imagine if I just said, how about if I just give you a device that lets you process and take in everything that you're experiencing in that moment and remember it? Would Would their answer be, no, I don't need more time then because I'm able to actually That's a pay device attention.
0: for slowing time down. I mean, a, a Zen master, by focusing on the present, by being here now and shutting the past out consciously and shutting the future out consciously is able to make the present moment stretch and elongate and become really as large as you want it to be mentally. It becomes large. It becomes something that you can put a lot of experience into uh, when you do it that way. And so you literally can slow your perception of time by focusing on the present. And Zen masters of meditation can do this, and studies show that they can do this, that they slow their perception of time by focusing on the present.
1: I mean, we've in a sense we already kind of done time travel. We've captured with pictures moments of time and video, but I don't think it's necessarily the appealing aspect of what people want from time travel. They kind of want this DeLorean going back into time or being able to. Prisoners engage in
0: time travel. Prisoners engage in time travel to escape the present of prison, so they go back to pre-prison experiences, or they imagine. Um, futures that never happen. Uh, They imagine building a house and every nail, driving every nail and sawing every board. And for a long period of time, they're not in prison. They, They literally mentally escape prison through mental
1: time travel. Isn't that like, that's daydreaming, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but it's daydreaming with the purpose of
1: of modifying uh,
0: your experience of time And, and consciously so. I mean, this is a person who's desperate, who's drowning in time and is like, okay, how do I, what do I do about this? You know, imagine yourself in the middle of the ocean drowning. Well, a prisoner is in the middle of an ocean of time and drowning in time. And so this is someone who consciously elects to modify uh, that and go, I'm not gonna drown in time. What I'm gonna do is remove myself from this and put myself in this uh, imagined future or in this remembered past and thereby escape the present moment uh, mentally. So it's like, uh, you know, you get in trouble if you escape and go over the wall, but uh, nobody, you don't get in trouble if you escape mentally.
1: Have you ever tried or been open to the idea of talking to more of these prisoners who are experiencing these things in incarceration, have them write a log down of like just moments and? feelings of when they're feeling like they're stuck in these these molasses states because I bet after a while after knowing that experience humans are known to adapt to their situations now I'm not saying that they all adapt to a prison climate but they make it easier in a sense of you learn the ways of like how to survive in prison or how to do these basic concepts of just making your time go a little bit quicker any possible way you can it's kind of like if your car's too heavy you'll try and find ways to make it faster by decreasing the weight, either throwing out a tissue box, whatever you have to do to make sure that you can get that extra little bit that you feel like you're needing to increase the time pace.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, in uh, everyday life for you and me, there's kind of this contest going on between the temporal regimes of school and work and, uh, and so on that get imposed on us. You know, you have to be in class at a certain time. You have to be at work at a certain time. You have to work for a certain number of hours. And we kind of push back at this in various ways. Students kind of, you know, secretly do things in class that take them out of class and relieve the boredom and workers do this kind of thing as well. And like I said earlier, prison magnifies everything that has to do with time. And one of the things that magnifies, to get to your question, is attempts by prisoners to push back against the temporal regime. You know, in prison, uh, all of your choice about time is, almost, almost all of your choice about time is taken away from you. Uh, when do you and I eat? When we're hungry. Whenever we're hungry, that's when we eat. I'm hungry now, I go get a snack. Um, uh, when do I shower? I feel dirty, I wanna take a shower. When do I sleep? When I'm, when I'm tired. Uh, when do I call someone? When I'm uh, feeling like I really wanna reach out to someone, I'm feeling a little bit uh, lonely and by myself and I wanna connect to someone, so I call myself. In prison, you don't do any of these things when you wanna do them. And you don't do any of these things for as long as you wanna do them. You eat when they tell you to eat that you exercise when they tell you, you can go out on the yard. You shower when they let you out of the cell to take a shower and only if they allow you out of the cell to take a shower. Um, and uh, so all of the choices, the little choices that we take for granted in everyday life in terms of when, which is time, when you do something, all of those things get taken away. Those, they try to take all of that away. They don't totally succeed. Prisoners push back um, and they push back like we do in everyday life with kind of processes and strategies and tactics that I call time work. Time work is working on your temporal experience and trying to modify your temporal experience. And so the prisoners like us in everyday life, we don't just sit back and say, okay, I guess I'm just going to be a victim of time. Uh, they, they want this much time from me, so I have to give it to them. They want me now, I have to give it to them. We don't do that. We push back, we negotiate, we go, uh, yeah, I know you wanted to see me on Tuesday, but Tuesday doesn't work for me, so let's get together on Thursday. Uh, we negotiate about time, we push back and attempt to control our own temporal experience, and so do prisoners. Prisoners push back and attempt to Uh, control their experience of time. One of the most interesting ways they do it is to diminish um, the length of their sentences by talking about their sentences with words that make the sentences seem small and trivial. Like you do a stretch. Well, what's a stretch? This is a stretch. That's a stretch and five years in prison is a stretch. And so you see the language is meant to go, this is no big deal to try to minimize the psychic impact on me, the, 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 the stress that it produces. Um, they talk about a, a time sentences being a bit or a spot. He's doing his bit, he's doing a two-year bit, he's doing a three-year spot. Um, and I think also they, um, they talk about nickels and dimes. Uh, Well, what's a nickel? A nickel is a five-year sentence. What's a dime? A dime is a 10-year sentence. Well, but why call them a nickel and a dime? What's a nickel and a dime? Small, insignificant coins. And so in a sense, you're using a language that, you know, you go, well, I could, this could be really massive and be overwhelming for me. Oh my God, I have to do 10 years in prison. It sounds and, and thinks really differently if I go, yeah, they gave me a dime.
1: It's um, the Bernie Mac joke. You ever heard the Bernie Mac joke about prison time?
0: No, it's the Bernie Mac joke.
1: You know who Bernie Mac is, right?
0: He's a comedian, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was,
1: uh, in, I mean, most people don't like him in the movie, but he was in Charlie's Angels. Um, he was the main, like uh, the, the secret agent guy. I don't know, I'm not a Charlie's Angels fan, but I just love Bernie Mac. He has a joke about um, the guys in prison. He goes, how long he's in prison for? He goes... Eva. And he goes, Eva. He goes, yeah. He goes, cause you just dropped the forever. ever. You just drop it to Eva. Um, that's kind of what you're talking about now I wonder have you ever had anybody actually two things one thing this is why I don't book a week out for instance like I won't look past the week I'm in because I don't know what's going to be happening that next week I mean I don't know what's going to necessarily be happening tomorrow but it's just that aspect of like I can't I feel like I can't manage past a seven day I can only manage that seven days I can plan that accordingly like something could happen where someone dies or something and next you know your whole week gets thrown off but I wonder I wonder if you've ever had anybody reject the idea that their sentence was over i wonder if there was anybody out there who just like 30 years for instance like all right you're, it's, it's been 30 years you're out no it has not been 30 years there's no way and it's not even a sense of happiness just a sense of horror that oh my god 30 years has passed you know like i always wondered why so many people that came out of prison became religious then you start realizing it's because they had something to read or they try to turn to God for people who say looking for their actions. And I go, yeah, but how many people practice meditation? how many people practice methods of of being able to escape from time for a sense? Like, you know, past life regression is a whole nother thing. That's like adding on more years and experiences, but people try and forget and do anything like meditation. I have ADHD. So meditation is like the one thing I can never possibly do. I've tried. It's horrible. Um, but in a sense, it is a sense of like, when you're not really taking in everything around you, but you're just centering in on one personalization of oneself. You tend to forget that aspect of time where meditation seems like people do a hell of a lot and it goes by so quick and they're happy about that.
0: I think the the future, we tend to think, we say and talk about the future as if it's one thing. And, uh, uh, one of my graduate students at uh, University of North Carolina, Charlotte, Travis Jones, and I uh, did this, I think, uh, interesting study where we asked people uh, about their plans for the future. You know, you, you said a moment ago you don't schedule more than a week out because you're, you know, like, uh, I'm not sure what's going to be going on there. And so we asked them, you know, like, uh, what's tomorrow going to be like? and what's next week gonna be like, and next month and next year, and five years out and 10 years out. And their answers were really interestingly different. Um, when, when we asked them about tomorrow and next week, they weren't very enthusiastic, they weren't excited about it. They said, well, that's all on my calendar, I've scheduled, and this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen. And so uh, they talked in terms of their calendar and they talked in a way that wasn't very enthusiastic. They weren't excited about this. It was like, tomorrow's gonna be like today, next week is gonna be like last week, Uh, pretty similar uh, and it's all scheduled. When you start to get uh, six months to a year out, they get more interested and they get more excited because now, there's um, some plans that they are like made and they're looking forward to them. So this is where you start to get to about hope. You don't hope about tomorrow or next week so much, but the real dreams and hopes are like six months to a year out or even five years out. And then they really, they get excited. And they, it's almost like as uh, Travis Jones said, that like they're looking in a crystal ball about the future now. And when they're looking at talking about tomorrow or next week, they're looking at a calendar. But when they're talking about uh, a year to two or three years out, it, they're looking in a crystal ball and they're hoping that they hoping that they have children. They're hoping that they have a career that they uh, get a lot of satisfaction from. They're hoping that they've graduated uh, from college and and so on and so forth. And so. Uh, The future is not this solid or monolithic uh, realm, uh, the future, it's these kind of segments of it, these sections of it. And in the close-up part of the future, we're not that interested or excited. In the intermediary, intermediate future, like six months, a year, three years out, that's where our hopes and dreams are. And hard, nobody looks more than 10 years out because it's like, well, who knows? I think this really has a, is a problem for the environment and climate change because uh, scientists are like, hey, we're really affecting things and we're deteriorating uh, the environment. We're, and the effects are really gonna show up 10, 15, 20 years from now, although some of them are showing up already. And so people are like, yeah, I, I guess that so, but you know, that's gonna be someone else's problem because right uh, now I'm kind of worried about uh, how I'm gonna get groceries next week and then try to get a different job in a year or two. And 10 years from now, it's like, please, I don't even, you know, what am I supposed to do about that? So, I mean, I'm not trying to diminish what the scientists are saying, I'm just saying that it isn't the way we tend to think about the future. We tend to be uh, take uh, the short-term future is already planned out, scheduled. The intermediate future uh, is where we hope and and think that things will be different and better. And our you know, and then the really distant future is like uh, who knows? We don't really pay much attention to
1: it. Do you think your understanding of time has enhanced your decision-making? Because I consider a common correlation between decision-making and time only on two things that kind of counter interact with each other, which is the fact that I feel like most of my best decisions and most of the things that I can get done quickly are things that are drastically played placed upon me and like sporadically, like randomly, um, just like, oh, there's this right now you got to do it. I'm like, what? And I got to rush and do that. But the long decisions people say like, Oh, proper planning. For instance, when I was a kid, I would plan like by 30 or by 25, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to do all this stuff. Well, I'm 24 years old and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I need to get my life together. But that's, it's a time thing. I don't necessarily really plan 30 years, 40 years or 50 years down the road. I mean, in a sense, I'm really just planning on what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. And that's really about it. I'm trying to plan as much as I possibly can. But I think that came with a better realization of how life is where life is kind of this sporadic mess all over the place. And you gotta try and work with the pieces that you're gifted or the pieces that you got in a sense. But I feel like, I don't know when that hope dies. Like for instance, that hope can be reborn in prison. The aspect of time, like you'll still have this much time left or you'll still have this. But it's also very, very common in elementary school. Now I'm not, it kind of leads into a bigger question. I'm not relating the two, but in a sense they are kind of connected. Daydreaming is a big part of both of those instances. Eating schedules are a big part of those instances with, I still said it wrong, the third time I said it, Um, but with prisons and schools, for instance. Now, I'm not diminishing their experience of being in prison. I'm not diminishing that at all. I'm not trying to relate them a whole lot, but in a sense, they do link together in a sense. Because there is this idea of time and there's this possibility of more future thinking than past thinking. I know prison is a place to kind of, they say, to reflect on your mistakes and reflect on things you need to focus on in your life. That I feel like that hits with the first couple of weeks. But after a while, you start planning on what your life is going to be like next. How are you going to recover? What are your steps to move forward to make sure this doesn't happen again for a lot of people? That's what they experience. And as a kid, when you're in school, you're constantly thinking about what you're going to be doing in life to make your mark in a sense. So I'm wondering if you've ever thought about doing a study on just talking to kids with obviously parents' consent to be able to figure out and what what are their thoughts on time? What are their thoughts on where they're going to be? Most of them will give you some drastic, huge things. Now, without killing their experience, without killing their hope and dreams and wonder, you can get a, a sense and probably relate that a lot to incarcerated people in prison.
0: I think so. Yeah, I think the future is uh, one. I think outsiders like uh, are often like, well, these guys sit around thinking about the future a lot, but they don't um and they're not encouraged to the whole uh thing of prison is about the past what did you do to get here uh and so if the prisoner starts saying well i'm gonna fix myself i'm gonna go to uh drug treatment uh programs and i'm gonna get off uh stop being addicted and i'm gonna stop being uh start managing my anger and impulses better uh, someone goes, oh, uh, what did you do to get here? And uh, so they come up for parole. You know, my guy was in prison for 31 years um, and others like him uh, come up for parole if they're eligible for parole, like every year to two years. And you, you then you, you think that that's like, oh, well, I, let me tell you about the education that I've gotten myself in prison uh, let me tell you about the programs I've taken, and they're—they're they're like, um, what did you do to get here? What crime did you commit? Uh, have you come to terms with it? Have you? And so they focus you there. The prison is always saying uh, you need to pay attention to the past, and it's an irrevocable past. You can't change it. Um, you know, you—you you killed somebody, and you can't bring that life back. Um, and so, uh, and yet, they want you to focus on that. They also don't think you can change. The the prisons are organized on the basis of you're not going to be better. You're not going to rehabilitate. Uh, we don't really we don't make any effort to rehabilitate you. And so, we don't really think you're going to change. Uh, and and the reason we don't spend any money on rehabilitation is because we don't think you have a different future. Right. If, you, if we really thought you had a different future, we'd spend money on rehabilitation. There's a self-fulfilling prophecy to this. If you don't spend any money on rehabilitation, you don't change these guys for the better. And then you release them and they haven't changed and they come back and, and uh, they, they view this as evidence that these guys are just inherently bad. I'd argue that it is indicative of a system that doesn't make any effort at rehabilitation. And so, you know, we get a recidivism rate that's 50, 60, uh, 70%, like something like two out of three are back in prison within three years. Uh, And so there's this revolving door. uh, And so the past is irrevocable. Uh, And then there's this endless cycle with every day being the same, and then they're released, and then they're, uh, they violate parole on some technical uh, thing, they fail a drug test, let's say, back in prison uh, inside of three years, and so there's this endless kind of cycle going on. Another thing is people think people in prison are are just like Xing out days on a calendar for until they can get out. Um, And only a crazy person would do that Um, unless you've got uh, A, a short sentence and B, a definite date when you're gonna be released. And that's not most of them. Most of them don't have a short sentence. Most of them don't have a definite date when they're gonna be released. A lot of them have indeterminate sentences, like they've been given five to 10. Well, when are you getting out? Who knows, because A, uh, it's five to 10 years that you've been given in the indeterminate sentence. And if you get in trouble in prison, they tack more time on the back end, which is incredibly easy to do. In fact, it's very difficult not to get in trouble in prison because of all the rules and how the rules keep changing. And they're enforced with a lot of discretion. Uh, So the sentence is really kind of unknowable for a lot of guys. I mean, my guy came up for parole 16 times before he was paroled. There was no reason why he should have expected to be released on the 17th time, but they decided for reasons that are really mysterious, okay, you've served enough time, which was 31 years. So uh, there's this the, the, the prison is all focused on the crime you committed and, and a past that you can't change, that's irrevocable. Uh, and they don't think you can change, so they don't make much effort at rehabilitation. And so the, the days in prison cycle, and then you cycle back into prison, and the sentence is this unknowable sentence. So what they often do is throw their clocks and calendars away because if you pay attention to the clock in prison, it's gonna slow the passage of time. If you pay attention to a calendar in prison, it's gonna slow the passage of time. So long-term guys throw these things out uh, to uh, avoid being conscious of
1: time. Well, it's the individual time management, I would say, of just giving time to incarcerated prisoners to be able to rehabilitate them. Um, Same thing with, I mean, you could relate it to kids in school. Parents send their kids off to school sometimes. Not really, They say it's their care about them getting an education, but how many of them actually read the report cards that come home or go to teacher-parent conferences or do these types of things to make sure their kid's actually getting an education. Now, it's not the teacher's fault, but teachers are placed in a position where they have 30, 40 kids in one class, and they have multiple classes a day. It's very, very hard to give that individual time to an individual child or individual time to an individual prison mate. It's very, very hard to give that in there, and their whole fix for the longest time has been to just send them away, send them away, push them away where we don't have to see them. Now, I don't know what the fix is to that. I really don't. Uh, We can better educate people on understanding the capacity of that, but until we get to a point where we're able to use our time effectively in a sense of – giving that individual time to a person. And I think that comes from conversation. I think that comes from understanding. I think that comes from educating people will say, no, it's, we got to reduce the population. Okay. If you want to go the freaking horrible, nasty route, sure. But in a sense, I mean, if you land in the aspect of just understanding more about personal experiences that people are having, there's this capacity of knowledge that's built around people. And it's uh, partly what I kind of do on the show as well, too. I'll look up something like about somebody on a show and we will say like, conspiracy nut, anti this, anti that. I'm like, are they? And then you talk to them and they're not. And it's like, what happened? It's like, well, I said something that didn't fit the narrative. And next thing you know, you realize it's all this. Now there's perspectives on both of that. The best thing I could do is talk to both of them and then try and get a rationalization or rationalization for myself. But it is this understanding, this concept of being able to see a perspective or understand someone's experience or someone's thoughts in this engaging flow, like how you let me talk, I let you talk type deal. Once that is kind of increased, and I think that comes from having a more realistic expectation or time capacity in your head, a lot of people don't feel like they can get the words out that they need to say when they're in an argument, which somehow turns into every single conversation online for a lot of people. They feel like this time thing that they need to get their opinion in right now, which means cutting your sentence off and it turns into a fight. While with conversation and even playing field where you know you're both going to get the time limited to you, unlike the debates, which is not like that at all you would have a more of a conversational aspect and understanding of a perspective where you would see a lot of these problems get fixed but sadly the only time we care about is the time that's going to be beneficial to our lives and trying to understand a perspective hasn't been sold in that way it's been a more selfish induced type thing where we consider the time even for ourselves sometimes isn't enough and i think Like what we've talked about in this episode and what kind of you can kind of understand from the whole idea of where I'm going with this is that you just need to understand a little bit. That doesn't mean the person that's experiencing whatever you can say, talk to a prisoner and try to understand him. Well, they're a human being. You can understand them. But the way you say that people go and just roll their eyes just understand the perspective, no matter where it comes from. I mean, when you have a better rationalization of that and a better empathy on that factor, I think you extend that into your lives and your own experience, which overall shares the time. I feel like you would probably take more notice of it if you shared the experience of not only yourself and your own critical thinking, but the other aspects of life that work around you. When I sit outside, for instance, when I'm like going to get, I, I put in air quotes tan because I'm trying my hardest, but it's been a cloudy like month basically it's like living in seattle um but when i try and experience this i try and take notice of everything i'm involved in the sun hitting my face you know the trees all these types of things and time moves very very slowly where i'm like i must be here, being for here now that's focusing on the present right yeah but that that I, i'm understanding that there's more than just me that's you get through conversation, you understand there's more perspectives like as I'm talking to you and saying the things I'm saying, I'm hearing a voice in the back of my head that's some person that's going to be commenting like you didn't talk about this or this. I'm understanding that and I understand that aspect of things, it might make it difficult to be able to decipher your own opinions, but it opens up your mind to a wide range of like it's not just me it's not an individual there's a we aspect of things too.
0: Well, I think a human being more is a very special animal because, and, and I think your comments show this, that we are really self-conscious about time in a unique way. Something about being human and our awareness of our own mortality, our, our awareness that time is passing uh, makes us time conscious in a way that I think is unique as a species, um, As usual, prison magnifies this, because I think this is true of everybody um, outside of prison, but I think when you put them in prison, they become obsessed with time, because as a lot of prisoners say, time is all I've got, and they begin to focus on it, think about it, uh, create ways of modifying how they experience it. And they become what uh, you know. My uh, collaborator calls time junkies. They become addicted to time and the idea of time because they're obsessed with it, uh, the way a junkie is obsessed with uh, whatever it is uh, he or she is addicted to. Um, and so, prisoners are obsessed with time, but so are the rest of us at a certain level. You know, at a certain level. Uh, like you were saying, uh, well, I mean, uh, what other things could I be doing and using my time effectively? This is a very human kind of uh, anxiety, if you will, is like, am I using my time well? Um, and I think uh, this kind of reveals something important and unique about us.
1: Now, so I got one last question for you. If you could restart the clock, if you could send it back to whatever the start would you do it would you want to mess with time in that way if there's a possibility i'm ending with a sci-fi question but if you could restart the clock in a sense do it all over again would you reset the clock that way or would you would you would you change anything do you feel like obviously you have things you would change but even with me if i say if i'm going to reset the clock back to whatever even though i'm not old or anything i'm not saying that you are either i'm just saying if i was going to i don't think i would because i feel like every decision i made is also constructed who i am
0: well there are things i have my regrets uh, there are things i would change about the past but uh focusing on uh focusing my research on time is not one of them i've found it fascinating i still do and uh, i have uh i would not change that. If I could roll the, the tape back or turn the clock back, I think it was a good decision to uh, focus on time. I found it fascinating. I've enjoyed uh, studying it, and I still do, and I want to continue uh, it in the future. Other things? Absolutely. I mean, I wish I could go back to uh, middle school knowing what I know now. I'd avoid uh, some some uh, a whole bunch of uh, of situations that I, I wish I could. Uh, so uh, I you know, I think uh, there's the old saying, Youth is wasted on the young. Um, you know, when you get to a certain age, uh, you you kind of go, Wow, well, what I want is that body, but with my experience and what I've learned over the years. Um, so, I want to go back and have a second, not just that body, I guess that's probably a physical kind of focus for it, but also just uh, I wish I could go back and now knowing what I know now and go oh here comes that situation which I was totally unprepared for in in middle school and now I, I, I know with you know decades of experience of how to handle that which I didn't then. So there's tons of that stuff. And I think that that's a very human thing. I think uh, this is why it's so hard to be right here now in the present because we're constantly thinking about our own past and thinking, well, I could have done this better or I could have done this differently. Um, and we're also contemplating the future. What should I do? You know, Should I keep doing what I'm doing now? Should I change directions and go in a completely different direction? With all of that attention to the future and all of that attention to the past, it's difficult to focus right here, right now. So in answer to your question, if I learned anything from the research, well, I don't know, I won't put it that way. One of the things I've learned from the research is to take a step back, pause, and uh, think about things a little bit and decide in a calm and measured way, rather than reacting immediately. Um, You know, if you think you have to, you don't have to answer now, you don't have to respond right now, you can take a step back, pause, uh, consider possibilities. Um, And then that becomes, I think, uh, a better way of reacting to what
1: comes comes at you. So the opposite of me being placed in positions I don't know that are coming. I'm that sporadic man meeting a girl's parents you just gotta throw me in the fire say hey we're meet my parents what
0: <laughs> I can tell you a sad story about meeting the girl's parents and not uh, being prepared for it but uh, that's one of those things I would change when I go back in that <laughs> time
1: um, where can people find you Michael any of your links do you have a website Twitter any social media oh
0: gosh um, I, I you can find me at Eckerd College I have a web page Uh, At Eckerd College, um, and it has some of my research there. Um, So um, I don't have the URL at the tip of my tongue, but if you go to Eckerd College Sociology Faculty, you'll find Michael Flaherty. So uh, I guess that would be the simple uh, path: would be Sociology Eckerd College E C K E R D uh, Sociology uh, Faculty and uh, Michael Flaherty, you'll find uh, uh, my uh, uh, page there. Um, I've got uh, books listed with amazon.com. Um, several of them are available through amazon.com. Columbia University Press is the publisher of our, um, our book about time in prison. And you can find uh, The Cage of Days by going to the Columbia University Press uh, Uh, pages and look for
1: uh, the cage of days. And I will link all those in the description. So people can easily click each individual book and also click on your profile link on your university website. And thanks for listening to this episode out of the blank.